Hey, really good friends. This podcast contains adult content and language. Listen with care. Hello. And welcome. To Historically Really Good Friends. A queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. Welcome. Hi. You Hi. and that noise, that sound effect. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Every time I do mm-hmm. it, it just comes over me. It's, it's a natural. So, it's so deep within me. It's a guttural noise. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It really is. I hope you all like it because I can't stop. <laughs> you, even if they don't like it, don't stop. It is, this what, is, it is what it is. This is truly your podcast, so you can do what you want. That is mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. That is true. Oh, sorry. That reminded me because it the song "Do What You Want, What You Want with Which My Body." We sing every time after we say "Do What You Want." I know, I know, but it reminded me. So I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race the other day and mm-hmm. literally had no idea Miss Michelle Visage was like in a girl yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. No <laughs> idea. I'm like pretty sure that's how they met. That's like why it they became is. friends. But see, the whole time I was like, what's Michelle's deal? Like, why like, is, who she is she here? Why is she here? Yes. And yeah, so I finally like... found out. I never looked it up. <laughs> I just finally found out. Anyway, I didn't know that. No, so that makes uh, yeah. sense to me. So sorry, that was my introduction okay. for today. Now we know. <laughs> that's great. No, now that's lovely. Know. How are you, Jared? What's up? I am thriving. It is Scorpio season. I am a Scorpio. My birthday is coming up. I feel powerful. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could take on the world. But also I feel like I need to sleep for 12 years and also not work. So nothing's changed. Nope. This Scorpio season, everything (laughs) is exactly the same. Yep. It feels the same. I feel normal, natural. Okay. Okay, that sounds that yeah, that sounds about right to me. You're you're just in your element. And I'm in that my element, element might be taking a nap, might be feeling like you're on top of the world. Uh-huh. I just got element. a haircut. I feel Ooh. gorgeous. You made a comment this morning that people with short hair get their haircut so much. So often. I feel like you're always telling me you're getting a haircut. Once a month. Once a month? Once a month. I gotta go and get my head buzzed. I really need to learn how to do it myself I was because say. it should not be but just like I would love, some... I would love if you did it yourself. Just but once. But I... good. No, I would kind of want to see it be bad. But then I would have to shave my head. <gasps> Do it. With like a straight razor. Straight edge. Do it. Do <laughs> just it. Just be egg. You egg. Must. Egg head. You must. Yeah, I, it was just surprising to me because like I said, I feel like you a lot of times will be texting and you're like, oh, I'm getting my hair cut tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I get my hair cut not even cut trimmed every six months so it's i wish it's surprising to me yeah no my hair gets very frizzy and unmanageable if i go longer than like a month and a half so i just gotta go get a nice little fade gotta get my hairs on top trimmed okay and then i feel great and i feel lovely and it's like i could never look bad is how I feel you know it's like every photo I take is a good photo after I get a haircut but then I wait a month and I'm like every photo I take is horrible so it's all it's right it's all in the hair and on the side and the head shape I look very round with a lot of hair okay you know okay so so really it's just it's just definition it makes you confident Mm -hmm. we love it Mm -hmm. and so great 
And so going into my birthday, I'm going to be 25, halfway to 50. Halfway to 30. (laughs) Halfway to 30, as my cousin said, (laughs) although she meant halfway through your 20s. But I'll be halfway to 50. I want to look good. I want to feel good Mm -hmm. before everything starts breaking down and my bones stop working and my muscles are atrophied. You'll live forever. That's the goal. I mean, someone's got to do it, and it, it, it's got to be me. I think. Right, it has – it you're going to be the first person. Probably, yeah. because we all famously know that I take such good care of my body and Right. Well, you health. get haircuts every month to month and a half, so how could you not? Right. It's like, do I need any more qualifiers? I no. feel like I am – I feel like I'm hitting the marks. Now, hair health ties into heart health, mm-hmm. ties into mental health, mm-hmm. so you're good to go. And that's what they say at the the Men's Hair Foundation. That's that's their slogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the yeah. M- MHF. Oh my God, your the cat is behind it's you. Behind me. Oh, that just scared me so much. I know, I. I knew it was there. I saw him in the room, but he was just on your windowsill, and now he's behind you I'm like the Babadook. You. That was terrifying. Ow. He's a menace. This is what I've been trying to communicate. Wow. Yeah, he is quick, and uh-huh. he He's quick escapes. and quiet. He is quick and quiet. We need to get him a bell, but even then, I think it would just be more annoying because it would just be ringing all the time. Yeah. Because he moves so much. So that that's what I mean. He really... he. He's if you let him near the door, he will try to jump out and he's not allowed to just yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet. So yeah, I'm happy to hear you're you're thriving before yeah, your birthday. And I hope you thrive birthday. after your birthday. You know what? I'm not going to set any expectations. I'm not going to make okay. any resolutions. Not yet, at least. I'll wait till the new year. Okay. And then I won't act on that resolution for eight months and then I'll do it. Right. Of course. But other than that, uh, everything is standard. Everything Everything's great. Good. Do you have any podcast recommendations or what are you listening to? What are you up to? So I've been listening, of course, to The Bald and the Beautiful, Trixie mm-hmm. and Katya, good stuff, always. Classic. But I have also been listening to the Kim Kardashian podcast that comes out weekly. It's called The System. It's only on Spotify. And now I will preface this by saying... Stop expecting the world from Kim Kardashian. (laughs) I don't expect anything from Kim Kardashian. Listen, I think the podcast is actually really good. It's about... It's hosted by her? Yes, and it's about a potentially wrongful conviction dating back to the 90s because now she has... She's passed the bar, so she has a specific kind of law degree. Yeah. And I understand people's people are frustrated with that, but she is an internet celebrity. So what mm-hmm. can you say? I think she's doing good with that. And sure. the podcast is really interesting and presents a lot of, you know, I think they're aiming for a serial type results by okay. bringing a, attention and awareness to something. Maybe the case gets reviewed differently, Yeah, which I think is a noble cause to have someone else potentially reinvestigate the case. So I found it very interesting it is a little graphic at times true crimes so Mm -hmm. just being mindful of that but i find it very interesting nice no that's awesome yeah yeah so the system on spotify not sponsored not sponsored but if they kim Kim kardashian has not reached out to me just yet yet no let's just yet yeah let's let's hold on let's not get ahead of ourselves there's always a possibility if you are listening i would also be happy to sponsor um skims skins whatever it's called if you want to give me some free samples, I'm also happy. What to about that. Lizzo's Yitty? Oh, her line, anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. Liz, if people want to send me shapewear, 
mm-hmm. please, <laughs> I am accepting <laughs> of it. I will talk about it on this podcast if you really want me to. Oh, I'm we'll so do a five-minute intro all about right. your shapewear. We'll do an and, ad. Right. Yeah. The thing is, I am not in need. Like, it's not a purchase that I would ever <laughs> buy for myself. That's why I would love for someone to just send it to me. Right, just to try it out, see what's just going on. Just to see. Yeah, yeah, just to see. Okay. <laughs> send some to Jared. We'll both just try it out. Yeah, I would love some shapewear. Give yeah, me some I mean, nice defined curves. Exactly. It's a waist, like a, a Violet Tchotchke waist. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah there 14 you go. inch waist. 14 inch waist. <laughs> yeah, yeah love. I love it. Okay. Well, that's actually not to get ahead of myself, but my subject today has 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 a thin waist as well. So when oh. we get there, keep that in mind. Okay. I can't believe that that organically came <laughs> up in this conversation, but I'm glad that it has all come together. Well, this is not as organic, but to transition in, into to my story, I find myself yet again, doing something that I feel like we always say we're not going to do, and then Mm -hmm. I consistently do it. Okay, which is? Talk about sports. It's like, what is my deal? I I don't care about sports in the least, Mm -hmm. but so many queer people play sports. It's like, I can't get away from it. Shocking. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. (laughs) I cannot get away from queer people in sports. It's like, I just keep coming. I think I have to get into sports now. Well, I honestly think it's very important that we do talk about queer people in sports, historical queer people in sports. Absolutely. So you know what? I'm fine with it. We definitely might embarrass ourselves or have already embarrassed ourselves talking about sports. Absolutely. But I'm glad that you found your niche. I don't know if I want to label that my niche necessarily. No, it's your but... niche now. Sorry. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad to take the reins on yet another story surrounding a sportsman, a sport, uh, an athlete. <laughs> an athlete is the word I was looking for. We're off to the races. <laughs> and we're off Great to the races. Start. <laughs> well, we're not off to the races necessarily. We are more so off to the ring. Because today I'm talking to you about the black bisexual boxer, Emil Griffith. I ding, am ding. so excited. Round punch, one. Punch. Round one. Yeah. There's a person walking around with a car. There's and, a hot girl with a like a. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm that girl. Yep. And the, then there's a referee with a microphone. That. Yeah. I love it. Comes down from the, ceiling, from the ceiling. <laughs> for some reason. Yes. Yeah. The, all of this knowledge is coming from the movie Jump In, by the way, which I know we've talked about before. And also um, like cartoons, like Tom and yeah. Jerry. Yeah. But also, boxing is a fascinating sport to me. As, like, a nonviolent person, I, for some reason, love boxing. So tell me about it. Okay, well, let's get into it. Okay. The sources that I used for this story, for this introduction of Emil Griffith, are The Shadow Boxer by Gary Smith, Memories of Bitter Childhood Spur Griffith, Champion Fights to Support His Many Relatives Here from the New York Times Archive, Emil Griffith, Boxer Born from the African American Registry, Emile's obituary from the Guardian and Emile's Wikipedia page. So, okay, well, you could have given me a spoiler alert that he has died, but okay. Okay, I feel like that is kind of given That's a on theme a theme for the historical podcast. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair, fair. But sorry, okay, rewinding. <laughs> spoiler alert: Emile has passed at this okay. point. Okay, rest in peace. So, 
Emile Alphonse Griffith is born on February 3rd, 1938 in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and he's the first of eight children. Wow. Emile's father is in and out of the picture sporadically, so he's mainly raised by a single mother, Imelda. However, Imelda moves to Puerto Rico to take a cooking job and then moves to the continental United States when Emile is around nine looking for work in New York. So he's raised by various relatives in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Emile recalls living with an aunt and cousins during this time, calling himself the Cinderella of the family. So he's like made to do the chores and the work and Mm. he's punished when he's too slow or doesn't do a good enough job. And so eventually he runs away from his aunt and cousins at age 11 to a boy's home on the island but he's rejected three times for already having a home and a family. But upon his fourth return to the home, they're like, I guess we'll let you stay. And so he kind of just like moves into this orphanage boys home on the island. Okay. I just, it's shocking to me that, I don't know, that we're turning people away, even though they're clearly so desperate to have a better living situation that they are like, opting into an orphanage right he's like begging them to let him just like be a part of this home and they're like you already have a home like go back home like we can't keep you and then on the fourth time they're like all right you keep coming back fine you can stay we're giving in right and at the boys home he works really hard he completes his schoolwork and he's actually a pretty proficient baseball player and by the age of 14, he's good enough to sign with one of the island's semi-pro leagues as a catcher. So, like, a 14-year-old in a semi-pro league. Like, whoa. Right. However, before he can actually even sign a contract to get into one of the leagues, Amelda calls for Emil around the same time. So he packs up his whatever he has, his entire life mm-hmm. on the island, and moves to Harlem in New York where he almost instantly gets a job working as a stock boy handling women's hats at a New York garment factory. Okay. It's reported that on a particularly hot and steamy day, which kind of sounds like an old porn video title or yeah. like like a setup to a porn synopsis. <laughs> right. I wouldn't ever describe the weather that way. But that's how it's reported in literally every article. It's reported okay. that the factory's owner, Howie Albert, agrees to let Emil work with his shirt off to beat the heat, which still sounds Again, like a setup to a porno. There's like literally no way around it. He's just like, no. it's a hot, steamy day. He's like, I need to take my shirt off. And the owner is like, go for it. Work with your shirt off in a oh. women's hat factory. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just is unreal. There's no, right. There's no way this doesn't end in sex, but I guess, sure. Okay, so continuing the porn synopsis okay okay emil rips off his shirt and he keeps working and that's when howie albert notices that emil has broad shoulders a narrow waist and overall a good physique (laughs) (laughs) and one boxing writer even describes him as having quote a 26 inch waist fanning out to 44 inch shoulders all rippling with muscle Shoulders that you could serve dinner for six on, end quote. Jeez, boxing is so homoerotic. It is. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, imagine being like, wow, that guy's so hot. You could serve a dinner for six on his shoulders. Yeah, they're like his rippling You could get get a takeout box for the whole family up there. (laughs) Like, okay. Like, that's so, but also imagining that body 
is Unreal. pretty in- is pretty insane. But Unreal. do boxers need to have small waists? I like I don't know why that's such a fixation, but it is unreal to think that a person of roughly my size could expand to yeah. that size. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. That size. Yeah, I mean, he just has like these wide shoulders. Goes in. Maybe they're just saying it's he's trim, so he has like he, okay. a nice. He's swift. He's tri- you know? sure, uh-huh, sure, a triangle, sure, sure. an upside down triangle. Sure, sure. Which is like, or just a just a triangle. Triangles can be any facing any direction. I guess you're right. I'm so sorry <laughs> to the triangles out there that are. <laughs> Not the that triangle expression, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. So back back to this factory. We're back into the steamy hot day. Right. He has a rippling body. Howie, who is the owner of the factory, also happens to be a former boxer and boxing manager, and he coaxes Emil to meet and work out for famed boxing trainer Gil Clancy. Emil was pretty disinterested in boxing at first, or fighting really of any kind, so much so that he would carry a six-inch dagger in his belt to school to keep teenage gang recruiters off his back. Like, he was so against fighting and violence. He was so against violence that that he he was willing to stab someone. (laughs) (laughs) To get away from it. (laughs) But that's how much he was like, I'm going to protect myself because I don't want to get indoctrinated into one of these gangs. Like, that's not the life that I want. Sure. And so Emil eventually drops out of high school during his junior year, so a year before he's set to graduate, and he focuses on working in the factory. But a few years later, his shirt comes off, like I mentioned, and Howie Mm -hmm. persuades him to go to this gym and he begins to train with Gil Clancy. The African-American registry writes that Emil, quote, was a fast-punching, deceptive fighter whose personal joy shined through even in the toughest matchups. So it seems like from the beginning, he's a strong, smart fighter, just sort of naturally good at it, and he enjoys it. Like, he's having kind of fun while doing it. Like, he's always this bubbly, bright person, but he's able to be good at something, and so it all around is just kind of like a good deal for him. Right. And only two months into his training, now around the age of like 19 or 20, co-managers Howie and Gill enter a meal into the 1958 New York Golden Gloves tournament. Mm. For this tournament, he competes as a welterweight in the open division, which is the weight class above lightweight and below middleweight. Okay. So he's not quite middleweight. He's not quite featherweight. Yeah. He's right in between. Uh, yeah, I have no gauge. So I appreciate that. You're Just welcome. like, yeah. thanks. Just to picture, visualize it. And at this tournament, he wins three separate titles, including the New York Daily News Golden Gloves Open Welterweight Champion, the New York Golden Gloves Tournament of Champions Welterweight Champion, and the Intercity Golden Gloves Welterweight Champion. He's like hot off of the hat factory and quickly making a name for himself in the boxing world. And after this tournament, he turns professional and begins fighting frequently in New York. So very quickly into boxing, he's sort of thrust into this professional world, which has to be so strange if you think about it. Like, you think you're going to be working in this hat factory for the rest of your life, like stocking, designing, and creating women's hats and being kind of like without the label, a pacifist. And now you're kind of on people's radars for being this like lean, mean fighting machine, you know, right. like, which it's... is honestly kind of a good thing because hats were not in style forever. 
No. So it's really good that he found another career path. That he, he quickly got out of the hat it's making. It's true. Career. I'm glad to. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> right. But he goes from this like. Right. Pacifist from, factory worker right. into a fighter. Like a. Absolute... Right. Completely changing his one of his deepest held values almost. Right. So it's like a, a complete 180. Right. And in the early 60s, so a few years into fighting. Emil begins this ongoing rivalry with a Cuban boxer named Benny the Kid Parrot, both of which fight in the welterweight class and have pretty equally matched skills. Benny, too, was only a year older than Emil, so they were incredibly similar in age. However, Benny had been boxing for a few years before Emil even hits the scene, and Benny at this point holds the welterweight champion title something that the two boxers will compete for over the course of only three fights. Wow. Now, Emil will fight 112 fights during his career, losing only 24 of them, but I'm really only going to focus on these three fights with Benny the Kid because they have the greatest impact on Emil as a boxer and a person. Okay. So, in April of 1961, at the Miami Beach Convention Hall in Miami Beach, Florida, Emil and Benny take to the ring for their first fight. It's a pretty standard and clean fight, and Emil captures the welterweight title from the kid over the course of 13 rounds and ends with Emil knocking Benny out, also known as a KO. Just to put this into perspective, by this point in his career, this fight was only his 25th professional fight. Oh my gosh. Out of those 25, he had lost only two of them, both in a split decision. And a split decision is when two of the three judges score one particular competitor as the winner, while the third mm -hmm. judge scores for the other competitor. Okay. So it's not like he's getting knocked out and right. completely losing. It's just like the judge is being like, we're voting in favor of the other guy. So, right. and that's how he loses. So, I mean, he's still putting up a really good fight exactly. in all of these fights that he's not winning, which, I mean, all he's not like two. a He's not like the complete underdog here. Not at all. Then, in September of 1961, only three fights and five months later, at Madison Square Garden in New York City, Emil and Benny enter the ring for their second fight, competing again for the welterweight titles that Emil has managed to hold on to. The match goes for 15 grueling rounds, but unlike their first fight, this one doesn't end in a KO. There's a split decision by the judges, ruling in favor of Benny the Kid, who regains his welterweight champion titles. So Emil specifically loses the New York State Athletic Commission, the National Boxing Association, and something called the Ring Welterweight Titles, all in one night. Wow. And... While he loses this one fight and some titles, this doesn't just like strip him of notoriety that he's earned or make him like any less of a phenomenal boxer. Mm -hmm. For 28 professional fights and only having lost three now, and on top of that being in his early 20s, that's like right. a wildly impressive feat. Like in my early yeah. 20s, kind of still am. Haven't done. We started that great. a podcast, right? So like take every that. other person, <laughs> right? Like nothing special. Like he's out there doing the thing, right? In a Sports Illustrated profile on Emil, author Gary Smith details the juxtaposition between Emil's success and his young age after claiming the welterweight title from Benny the Kid after their first fight. But I think it applies to Emil's overall person after their second fight as well. So he writes, "Quote." 
He's 23 now, living with Mama and all her brood in the five-bedroom house he's just bought in Queens Village. A champ, but still a child, leaping into the referee's arms to hug him the first time he takes the title from Parrot, and then, when the astonished ref fumbles him onto the canvas, doing a backward somersault. Running up $100 candy bills in the gift shop at the Concord Hotel where he trains in the Catskills, doling out gum and grins to everyone, falling asleep with a wad of bazooka in his mouth that Howie has to scoop out. So it's just like a nice reminder that while he's this successful boxer, he's still a young adult working his way. Right, he's working his way through adulthood at the same time as some level of newfound fame. But we right. also get to see that this intention with fighting is really almost wholesome, like mm-hmm. in complete contrast with how we think of fighting or boxing. And so that goal or that intention is to be with and provide for his family. Right, right. And so the entire brood that Gary Smith mentions is that of Emile's two cousins, three brothers, four sisters, and five nieces. Another profile on Emile from the 1960s notes that the house was actually ten and a half rooms, not just five, and at one point houses 15 relatives that depend on Emile for their food, their clothing, moral support. Like, he is this, like, father, patriarch figure Mm -hmm. to his entire family. No No pressure pressure. at all. (laughs) And when he's in town, Emile would stop by the house and make time for his family, constantly asking, like, how things are going what's going on in their lives always curious as to how they were as people and when he was away he would call them at least once a day to check in and make sure everything was running smoothly Mm. in his absence emile would later explain that before every big fight he would go back to the virgin islands and be able to bring back a family member or two to the states his one dream is simply to have his entire family together again and with his newfound wealth he's able to do so Not only this, but also having his co-managers, Gil and Howie, gives Emil kind of this father figure that he's never really had growing up, but desires so much. Boxing allows Emil to fight back against the childhood he felt so alone in, so disconnected from his parents and his siblings, and gives him this space, time, and money to heal the trauma. Right. What I'm trying to drive home here is that Emile's personality was so unlike the aggressive, Mm -hmm. brutalistic sport that he competes in. From various accounts of him, Emile is genuinely just a good guy who is always smiling ear to ear and trying to do right for his family. All in all, he's like down to earth and sweet. Right. He accepts this in order to like accomplish all of those goals that are really noble and sweet and caring and compassionate right but as gary smith in the sports illustrated article writes quote so sweet maybe too sweet the men in the city's boxing gyms have begun to whisper Mm. they've started adding things up that high-pitched sing-song voice those sunday mornings singing tenor at saint james missionary church those pants as tight as tape on his broomstick legs those young Latino males who seem to appear wherever he does, the teenager he always lets use his car and calls him son. But what's this all add up to? It can't be that. A prize fighter, a champion, a limp wrist with a knockout punch. It's the ultimate contradiction, the perfect smoke. Which is like... (laughs) (laughs) Which... (laughs) The author, Gary Smith 
just want to throw out there this article was written in the early 2000s so i think he's writing more so from a position of this is what people were saying about him at the time right. and not him just blatantly being right homophobic. right gary i don't think it's you definitely right but, but like... at the same time it's like these people are starting to talk about Emil and starting right. to kind of maybe... how can someone be good at sports which require an insane amount of male aggression and exactly. testosterone and be gay what right and so that's kind of the other thing is like this other contradiction of him is this brutalistic sport but what is seen to be as a lesser than right identity like, or right. weaker identity like the beta identity and so everyone's like right kind of like mm, no way. Like he has all of these feminine characteristics which do not drive with what you need to be a successful fighter, yet here he is being a successful fighter right. and then leaving the ring and going back to these seen as feminine or gay characteristics. Right. And so it's like either people are really honing in on that, being like, he's weak and I can take him on and he's a nobody fighter. Or they're being like, no way, that's just bullshit because he's such a good fighter. There's no right. way that could be true. Right, because those things can't exist at the same time. <laughs> Apparently. Now, what I didn't tell you before was that before Emil and Benny's second fight, the one where they Emil... <laughs> Not quite. Okay. <laughs> the one where Emil loses his three welterweight champion titles, Benny did something disgusting at the weigh-in. Oh. And it wasn't a kiss. Okay. The two met at the weigh-in scales ahead of the fight. Benny, in front of reporters, coaches, a room full of onlookers, approaches Emil, swishing a limp wrist and hissing the word maricón, which is the F-slur in Spanish, at Emil. And so everyone acts like it didn't happen because nobody wants to address if the rumors are true or not, which was none of their business either way. Oh, right. They're there for a boxing <laughs> match. That shouldn't be a part they of can it. They can regardless of whether the rumor is true or not you could still stop someone that's not trash talk right that's a hate crime <laughs> right that's just being fucking rude that's being yeah. disgusting and so now in march of 1962 six months later and four fights later after their second fight after all of this happens emil and benny would be fighting for their third time at madison square garden this time emil would be fighting to regain his welterweight champion titles from benny but Emil feared what Benny might do at the weigh-ins this time, and that mm -hmm. fear made the anger well up inside of Emil. If he says anything to me before the fight, I'll knock him out, he tells Gil, one of his coaches. And Gil tries to calm him down, telling him to just take it easy. So now they're in this room full of sports reporters with cameras and notepads. These are the two biggest boxers in the welterweight division. And tonight sort of seals the deal as to who's the better fighter, right? Mm -hmm. They've each won one fight against the other. So this is kind of like the tiebreaker to see who would walk away victorious with the titles. And so mm -hmm. everyone tuned into the boxing world is sort of holding their breath for this fight. Right. Emil steps onto the scales. And almost immediately, there's a warning from Gil to watch out. Unfortunately, it's too late. Benny slips behind Emil, standing in nothing but his underwear on a scale in front of a packed room, and Benny begins wriggling his body and thrusting his pelvis, grabbing Emil's ass. Okay, I just want to interrupt. Mm -hmm. um, 
in terms of what defines someone being gay, I would say what you're doing right now um, is closer to that. Right. Closer to a man having sex with another man right. than that anything seems... that that Emil is doing. So, <laughs> Just saying. So, Benny, let's take a moment. Yeah. Let's take a moment like, and think about our actions. Let's think about what right. that message sends. Like. Oh. Right, like just, it's not a, I don't know, whatever. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> so, Benny coos at Emil, hey, Mary Cohn, I'm going to get you and your husband. Which is threatening, it's weird. Also, Emil at this time has a girlfriend. <laughs> like, it, things don't add up. It's, right. it's just like him being homophobic in a way to make a meal mad throw him off get right. in his head just completely do right. whatever he can psychologically to help get an advantage in this fight right and so there's this really tense moment of what's a meal going to do if he doesn't right. say anything it might tell the reporters and boxing aficionados that he's afraid of benny and therefore the weaker fighter and on the right. other hand if he does do something like he said he wanted to He's afraid that it just might confirm the rumors about his sexuality. And Emil is not an open person. He's Mm -hmm. not the type of person to go around telling people about his love life and his relationships and his girlfriends and maybe other suitors. Like, he just, through the end of his life, even to his biographer, he's not really that open. So it's... It's like, what do you do at this point? Especially for right. someone that doesn't want everybody in his business. Right. Because you know there's going to be speculation either way. So it's right. like, what speculation are you willing to undergo? Right. Exactly. And luckily, Emil's manager steps in, telling the two men are almost begging Emil at this point to save it for tonight. Right. And it's reported that Gil has to take Emil for a walk around New York just to help him cool off because he's that ramped up. I mean, keep save it. Right. Um, well... You'll see. Okay. So, the two men enter the ring as the whole country watches fight night on their TVs at home. They fight, making it all the way to the sixth round before there's any sort of indicator that it may be in one person or the other's favor. Mm -hmm. And in round six, Benny floors Emil, punching him quickly eight times, but Emil is saved by the bell and the round ends. After this round, Emil goes back to his corner and gets shouted out by Gil, saying, Emil, look, when you go inside, I want you to keep punching until Parrot holds you or the referee breaks you, but you keep punching until he does that, end quote. And after this moment, Emil sort of seems to take control of the fight, like regaining what everyone thought he had lost, the energy, the confidence, all of these things. And... It leads us to the 12th round when Emil gets Benny backed into a corner and unleashes a series of devastating blows just again and again and again. And despite Benny being completely knocked out, Emil just keeps going, punching and blowing offensive after offensive punch. And it's only after 18 punches that land in six seconds, 29 consecutive unanswered punches in all, that the referee steps in and rings the bell, calling the fight. He grabs Emil, claiming him the victor. And a silence falls over the ring, people believing they likely just witnessed a murder. Yeah. Benny, totally unconscious and at this point in a coma, has to leave on a stretcher. Emil tells the camera, I'm very proud to be the welterweight champion again, and I hope Parrot is feeling very good. However, the seriousness of the situation only becomes known to Emil after the fight, after he's calmed down, after he's out of the ring right, and, right. and can and kind back of, to his regular 
kind of state. Exactly. When then Emil tries desperately to get into Benny's hospital room, but he's denied oh. entrance, which, I mean, makes sense. They don't know what yeah, he's going to do. I think that's fair. <laughs> but he's like, what the fuck just happened? I need to go see him. Because realistically, right. they were friends. They saw each other around. Emil said well, that Emil said that there wasn't any hatred. Yes, he was angry in the moment, sure. but that there wasn't... It's not like he wanted to do anything drastic. Yeah, also, like... Your job is to fight each other. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like one of you just picked the other out on the street and is right. beating the shit out. Like, this is your job, and I understand it clearly went a little bit too far, but there is a referee, and, like, mm-hmm. there was some really bad history. So I'm not justifying it, but, yeah, right. it's not like it's not like a meal would just walk up to him on the street and, and beat kill him, him. Right. No. to death. No, that's not at all what the situation is. Right. And so... After being denied entrance into Benny's hospital room, he runs through the streets of New York where he's verbally assaulted by fans of Benny. And 10 days after the fight, Benny passes away due to complications from his injuries. Oh my gosh. And so the New York governor at the time opens a commission to investigate the incident and the sport. And Emil is found completely innocent, having done what any fighter would have done, which is his job continue fighting until the bell is rung you don't just give up because someone's backed into a corner like you you keep going until you're until someone stops you right so he's just doing his job and emil continues boxing after the fight with benny although always goes easy on his opponents terrified of going too far and hurting them after parrot emil would reveal i never wanted to hurt a guy again i was so scared to hit someone i was always holding back and he continued to win fight after fight after fight, but mm-hmm. it was kind of like once he realized that he had when won. someone was on the ground. He yeah. was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm backing away. Yeah. Call the fight. Like, I'm not going to keep going. Like, he kind of so took scary. more caution because, yeah. right, at that point, he was like, I, I'm, I don't want to be responsible for another person's death. Like, I'm not doing yeah. it. However, to keep up his lifestyle, to keep supporting his family and his community, Emil feels pressure to stay in the ring. And so this leads to decades of nightmares about Benny, a fear of falling asleep, a fear of being alone, receiving hate mail from Benny's fans, questions about Benny's death and every interview moving forward. He's just constantly being re-traumatized over and over, Mm -hmm. essentially for the rest of his career. Mm -hmm. And so in 1977, at age 39, Emil and Gil, one of his coaches, decide that Emil's time in the ring is over. He doesn't need to keep going. He's made a name for himself. He's made the money. He's done all these things. He doesn't need to keep going. He doesn't need to keep traumatizing himself. And so he works at a youth detention facility in New Jersey where he works with supervising wayward boys. And one of these boys is a 16-year-old named Luis Rodrigo. And upon finishing his sentence for breaking and entering, Luis asks Emil to be his father. His biological father had died when he was only a year old or so, and so Emil, being a good-hearted person, accepts and adopts Luis. Eventually, he loses his job when they find out about this adoption of Luis, and so he begins to train boxers in New York City by day and bartend in Jersey City by night. He kind of is just like living his life, doing these things. And in the early 90s, Emil goes to a gay bar because he says it's just easier for him to kind of be there. People don't question him. He can kind of just go and hang out and see friends. And as he's leaving, he's jumped by a gang and almost dies from this like really vicious attack. 
Oh my gosh. He is in the hospital for like four months or so and he recovers, but he doesn't really remember much about the incident afterwards and is never really the same moving forward. Mm-hmm. He eventually develops dementia and gout, sort of just like living his life watching Judge Judy and occasionally going to a local boxing club to see the fighters and coaches. But he's mainly just taken care of until he's, you know, in, a, in an old age. Mm-hmm. And while Emil never officially came out during his years of professional boxing, he did state in the Sports Illustrated article later in life that, quote, I will dance with anybody. I've chased men and women. I like men and women both. But I don't like that word homosexual, gay, or the F slur. I don't know mm-hmm. what I am. I love men and women the same. But if you ask me which is better, I like women. End quote. I think that that's a great way to talk about sexuality, and I wish we did that more. Right, and especially for someone who is famous and a celebrity, yeah. kind of. It's like, there's no pressure to be one right. thing or another. He's just living right. his life and figuring it out, and he is what he is. And he has been, like, abused by those words for so long that it would probably be really difficult to just one day wake up and reclaim them. Right. And so it is nice that he was given the chance to acknowledge his feelings, and that's all that he, someone can do or should be asked to right. do. Right, absolutely. And so Emil passes away in July of 2013 in Hempstead, New York, where he is in a full-time care facility. His son basically provides support mm-hmm. as much as he can, but then he needs additional support right. because of his dementia. And he leaves behind an expansive and impressive legacy, battling all of the odds and cementing his spot in history as one of the greats that graced the ring. And so that is the introduction to Emil Griffith, the Black Bisexual Boxer. Wow, thank you. That story was not at all what I was expecting and Good. different than our other sports stories, but it yeah. was so interesting and complicated to mm-hmm. hear about his life. So I appreciate you taking that on to tell us this ap- this, this afternoon, this morning, this, this evening. night, whenever you're listening. <laughs> he was a very complicated person and there's so much more that goes into it, but the articles that I referenced for this research really dive into his feelings and his emotions Mm -hmm. and his thoughts and just kind of who he was as a person, which obviously I can't include all of that. We're already 40, 45 minutes in, but he, there's so much more to Emil. So truly, if you want to learn more about Emil, I would suggest going and reading those articles and those profiles Mm -hmm. and just kind of hearing how he talked and how he remembered his childhood and kind of how he dealt with a lot of trauma and life in general like yeah he just he handled it in such a way that he built himself up and became this like great person that always had a smile on and always was sweet and always was just seemingly a good person you know there obviously no one's perfect but you know but yeah if you want to delve into what seems to be a very nuanced yet interesting and and compassionate story it sounds like i i might be checking it out this weekend myself do it all of all of the sources are in the in the show notes thanks jared thank you thanks for tuning in to episode 37 of historically really good friends where we talked about a bisexual boxer this is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes getting your hairs cut once a month a little bit more fun Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever it is that you've been listening. 
And to see photos of Emil from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at historicallyreally. And you can send us your personal stories there or to our email account at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.